Welcome, welcome. This is According to Callus. This is episode 245. It's Monday. It's late. And we're going to spend a little time talking about nationalism. And rather than me try and give you my understanding of what that word means, I will even skip going to the dictionary because apparently the definition no longer means the definition. And when you're the left, you tend to just make up definitions as it goes along or redefine it to suit your purposes on a daily basis, I'm going to just say, in my mind, nationalism relates to somebody who feels their country should be considered first among other countries, which is a little bit different than a statist, which believes that the state above all and overall, and that state could either be the state of Illinois or the United States as a state. Whereas a nationalist sees their country, Americans or Chinese or Russians or British, they see their country first and they want to put their country's needs, desires above the other countries in the world, which I think any rational human being would actually be supportive of, would see the benefit of that. Yes, we all gain if we work together. I'll grant you that. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to talk about nationalism and the concept where you can love your country, but not like your government. So I was watching a program. It had uh, two guys that I don't know, and I don't remember their names. Um, I would describe them as two black guys. And I honestly... The logo in the corner was TYT, which I later found out was the Young Turks. Don't know. Um, Not dismissing these guys. I'm sure they had some interesting uh, input. But on this specific issue I was listening to, it's not relevant insofar as it had to do with Texas Tuesday's program. But one of the things that they said, and this is not a unique thing, right? One of the things they said is they found it ironic that a good number of the people that are most pro, in their words, secessionist, are in fact the most pro-American. Okay, and but that proved to be a challenge that they couldn't they couldn't understand it. They didn't make sense of that. Okay, so that's the that's the question: How can you be pro-American and yet want to leave America or leave the United States? Okay. That's what they didn't get. And then they referenced Ted Cruz and some of Ted Ted Cruz's stump speeches. And while I think Ted's a great senator, uh, I sometimes think he's all part of the show and he's going to say what he needs to say to rally the troops. And that's pretty much what they implied. So we're going to set that aside. Not going to go there. It's not relevant insofar as... The concept is I can love my country and fear my government or love my country and hate my government or love my country, but don't want to deal with my government. And I think that's something that every person goes through at some point in time. So the idea that I can be content as an American or a Texan or a Texian, but the love of country does not get um, a blank check. That's the word I want to use. 
your love of country does not mean you go along with everything that comes down the pike. I mean, the fear and the and the damage that has happened in the past is the good Germans, they followed in lockstep with the Nazis. The good Austrians stayed and joined the Nazis. The good Russians stayed in Russia and joined the Bolsheviks, joined the Soviet. And those people love their country to the detriment of surrounding countries and actually to the detriment of their own countries because their policies were really bad. So there's a certain point where you say, I love my country, but I can't go along with this. Now, you may recall as little as 15 years ago, they used to say, we support our soldiers, but not this war. We love our soldiers, but not this deployment. Same thing. You can be supportive of your country, but not be enthusiastic about what's going on. Now, a second thing to this might be is, well, they're just plain sour grapes. They didn't win the last election. They're mad. They're going to take their ball and go home. And to be honest, there's probably a little bit that has to go with that, right? But we're we're not going into that issue tonight. We're just talking about the nationalist thing, right? So the concept that you love your country, but you're not happy with the government that's going on. And, you know, when Hillary Clinton was running in 2016, all we heard about is how you can love your country and show your love of country by challenging your country and the things that your country is doing. And by country, she meant the government. And she's not wrong. And I and I know a lot of people write a center again, oh, flustered. No, no, in, in theory, she's dead on accurate. You need to be able to challenge and call out your government, whether they're your people or not your people. Case in point, we've been less than enthusiastic about a lot of things our governor's been doing in the last two years. But in the grand scheme of things, while he is not the number one best governor in the 50 governors, He's nowhere near the bottom 10 of the worst governors. So you'll forgive me if I'm less than enthusiastic. The same cannot, however, be said about our president. Yes, the resident at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, there are those that want to throw him under the bus and say he's the worst president ever. I would suggest that there's a list that would include Lincoln, Roosevelt, Wilson, Johnson, and probably, well... Grant. Okay, so we got a lot of really, really bad presidents for various reasons. So I don't even know if Biden breaks the top five. Now, then they'd say, well, the worst president in our lifetime. Yeah, but even still, depending on how old you are, you might have had Johnson. You might have had Nixon. Probably had Carter. And, you know, maybe you throw Clinton in there. Maybe you don't, depending on what you think. So, I mean, Biden's got a way to go. And then, of course, there's the big O that predated him. And then those that just hate on Trump. They have the Trump derangement syndrome. So they can all hate the government, but they still love their country. So that's the one issue, right? That they couldn't wrap their head around that. The second thing being is they rightfully pointed out that they were being charged up to go out to the polls. Make the strongest showing possible. We have to break the algorithm. We have to 
show them just how many good Republicans or good conservatives there are out there and flood the polls. And they're saying, well, wait a minute. If you don't trust the election and you don't believe the election was legitimate in 2020, why are you still going out and voting? Ah, that's a valid point. My response would be, would you, TYT folks, would you prefer that there's a group of people that say, no, we're done with elections. Elections clearly don't work. They're all a big lie and we're going to take care of this. Hmm. Proactively, actively, directly, direct action. Is that what you would prefer? Do you really want that? Now, I know there's a whole bunch of people left of center that have been talking about civil war, ginning up civil war, and getting excited about the concept of a civil war. And to be fair, there's people on my side of the aisle that think this is a good thing. Oh, yeah, we want a civil war. We want to solve this once and forever. I don't think they're going to get the results that they want. I really don't think they've considered what's all involved with this. I'm fairly certain that the idea of Yugoslavia times Rwanda in a civil war in the United States is not my idea of a good time. That's not something I aspire to experience. And I would dare say that nobody else that I can think of really wants to see that happen. So again, would you prefer that? Or would you prefer that... God help me, but would you prefer that these people still believe that if they show up in big enough numbers that they can make a difference? For me, for the sake of our country, I kind of do. I I think it's worth showing up for another election and going all out and trying to win and win big. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to roll back enough of this crazy that's gone on. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to untangle the web that has happened in the last uh, 14 years. I don't know that we're going to do that. I mean, and even when we had all three spheres of government, very little got done that was beneficial to anybody right of center to fix all the problems that were created from 2000 or 1996 on. Very little has been fixed or improved upon. Going all the way back to Newt Gingrich in 1994, the promises have never been delivered on. And it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. They continue to do what they're going to do, and we pay the price. So again, I understand you can love your country and be disgusted with your government. You can love your country and say, ah, I just don't want to follow those rules. I don't want to realize that those guys get to make the laws. I get it. The fact that you choose not to understand that is something I can't help. But again, as a nationalist, you're willing to put aside the fact that you don't have a perfect world. You're willing to say, this is what's best for my country. And even though I'm not enthusiastic about it, we're going to go with this. Or you're going to say, I would rather have some bad things come out now that we could potentially fix later than create a disaster that would make things so much worse. The idea that you would utilize, and I'm going to paraphrase the quote, extremism in the defense of liberty, right? Um, Goldwater called it a not a vice to be extreme in defense of liberty. 
And I agree with that. I do. And I think we need to be very vigilant in how we defend our individual liberty. And thank God we've got at least a handful of U.S. representatives that still recognize that liberty matters, that still recognize there's something called state sovereignty, that still recognize there are limits on government. But the flip side of that equation is moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. So I ask you, while most of what happened in the last two years was a big show, it wasn't real, it was mostly manufactured and exaggerated to elicit a response to justify the resident and chief that we have, but did they have a point? Do we have a dual system of justice? Do we violate people's rights? Do we not even bother to fight for a just outcome? And I would suggest to you, yeah, that's true. Not in the way that they would sell it to us, but in the way that it actually occurs and we see it and we just turn a blind eye. Whether we go back to the mid-90s where you had the situation of Waco or on Ruby Ridge, whether we go back mm, as little as five years ago where you had a guy in Oregon get killed uh, because, you know, he dared to stand up. You got farmers being swatted. You've got so-called tax cheats basically having their lives ruined for dotting an I wrong or crossing a T wrong. Yeah, but hey, don't worry about it. We're going to hire 87,000 more agents. They're going to fix everything, right? That'll make it better. And we keep hearing about the idea that if we tolerate the fact that they raided the ex-president's house, what are they going to do to us? Well, I would say to you, they've been doing all this stuff to us for decades and we did nothing, which is now why they think they can get away with it on a former president. They're selectively enforcing many, many laws. If there was justice, the big O would never have been elected. If there was justice, Hillary and her husband would be in prison. If there was justice, honestly, Donald Trump probably wouldn't have been able to run for president. I know, I know, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. But if there was justice, uh, the former governor of New York would be in prison. If there was justice, Harry Reid would be in prison. If there was justice, Anthony Fauci wouldn't be able to retire after half a century on the government payroll, being the most uh, highly paid government employee there is, he would be in prison. If there was justice, we would have about 1,500 U.S. reps. If there was justice, we would have fixed so many other problems that we wouldn't have to deal with the fact that our prisons are overcrowded with people that... We're guilty of nonviolent crimes. If there was justice, we would know who everybody that went to go see Jeffrey Epstein was and what they did, and they would be arrested. If there was justice, the idea of a few Korean store owners sitting on top of their buildings and protecting them in the mid-90s would not be a novel idea. That would be a commonplace occurrence in the Summer of Love from 2020 would not have repeated. 
If there was justice, we would have explained to people that if you have a proper understanding of what happened in this country, and because we love this country, we acknowledge that bad things happened. That was part of the historical process. It was part of the growing that we went through. We don't want to tear down the statues to these great men from our past because they did a wrong thing or they had a wrong belief at the 21st century way of looking at things. But we understand that they were in a snapshot of time where it was very common to believe these things. And without these men, we wouldn't be where we are today. And yes, there were some women. Not disparaging anybody. Just saying. You can love your country, but not be happy with what's going on in your name. You can love your country and not be happy that we are involved in 143 other countries with bases there and dirty wars and all sorts of other things going on in our name. Nobody asked my permission. Nobody asked for my input, yet it happens all the time. So if I'm a nationalist, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm really not concerned about most anything that happens in Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia. And really, quite frankly, South America either. I'm really not interested in that. That's not our business as the United States. Yeah, we want to keep the sea lanes open. Yes, we want to encourage trade. But we don't have to be the world's policemen. We don't have to be involved in every little thing that's going on. We don't have to be ratcheting up what would have been Simply a police action between two belligerent cousins, that would be Russia and Ukraine, we wouldn't have to be involved basically coaxing that into a world war. But that's what's happening. I mean, even we pulled Switzerland out of their neutral stance. For what? So they can freeze out this or this coming winter? That wasn't very bright. We are not in a position to worry about the whole world. We need to worry about our own nation first. Now, I watched a brief video uh, earlier today where they were talking about um, all the blue states. The problems are no better there. In fact, many of those problems are worse than the blue states. And they run the whole state and they don't fix the problems. Now, I know why that is. The same could be said on the red states. We have the same or different problems that we don't bother to fix. Because it's a good manipulative thing to use to split the people, divide people and get them to think different things. And that works all the way down to the school board level. I was involved in a conversation taking place online and next door. And somebody correctly pointed out that some of the things that are going on that people are getting all worked up about are really nothing more than distractions. Now, his two examples, I don't know if I agree with them. Uh, he said I made a straw man argument when I just tried to rephrase what his point was. I don't take offense at that. It's not that big a deal. But if you don't think there's an issue with the curriculum, in my opinion, you're not paying attention. Or, or you approve of the curriculum. And either way, is fine as long as you're honest about it. But he wasn't. And if you're okay with... Boys in girls' locker rooms or boys in the girls' bathroom, particularly when you're dealing with, you know, 14-year-old girls and 18-year-old boys, I'm sorry, that's just not good. And yes, I can see where you might see that as a distraction. 
you might see that this is something that is getting blown out of proportion for people to raise money. And you know what? You're probably not wrong. But then you have to ask yourself, what exactly are they hiding? Now, his response is that the state is failing the schools. I actually agree with the guy on that. I don't think the state's done a good job of looking after the schools, but I would go so far as to say the local school boards are actually doing a worse job. The local school boards are the ones that are supposed to run and direct what happens in the local school districts. But instead, they're more interested in getting more programs and building out the school system, making it bigger, doesn't always equate with better, and at the end of the process, they end up with a bloated administrative state and they can't take care of the teachers that are supposed to be there to educate our children. So I ask you, if you love your state, if you love your country, how do you fix that? You have to get involved. Now, a good nationalist should do more than just sit at his keyboard and pound his fingers. A good nationalist should do more than showing up on an occasional rally and hold a sign or, God forbid, show up with a rifle somewhere. We're not there. You need to show up at the school board meetings. You need to show up at the city council meetings. You need to show up at the county commissioner's court. And if you've got the time and the money, you need to go down to Austin. These yahoos need to hear from us. And honestly, if you're left of center, but you're an honest left of center person, I'd love to have those conversations with you. I think we could have some very good, intelligent conversations on how do you fix education? How do you fix school funding? How, how do you fix so many of these other issues? Because quite frankly, I'm open to your ideas because we typically agree on the problems. The issue is we have different solutions. And I'd be willing to work with you or some other people to come up with a compromise solution or a proposed solution. Well, let's try this here and this there and see which one works better and see what the outcome is. And then we determine which we want to do more on a larger scale. If you're open to that, then we've got a great discussion. But if you'd rather just call me names, point at me and I, you know, have somebody on my team do the same thing and we can call each other Marxists and fascists, we're never going to fix anything. But if you love your country, if you're a nationalist, you should be able to set that aside. You should be able to understand that you can have legitimate disagreements with good people and still possibly come up with a workable solution. And back in the day, they believed that could be done at the municipal level. I have seen firsthand proof that that doesn't always work out well. In fact, when we gear our entire system to where everybody must be unified at the municipal level, level or the school board level, and nobody's allowed to have a differing opinion, I'm sorry, that does not serve anybody well. That is not a good example of how things get taken care of. But if you're a nationalist, I would encourage you, set aside your angst, your anger, and your venom, and do the work. Get involved. Say, you know what? I love my country, but those guys in D.C. are a joke. I hate them. I love my country, but that Austin Swamp, man, it's just so disappointing. It's terrible. But I can fix this little thing out my back door. It's the school district. Or I can fix this city I live in by getting involved at the city council level. Because 
as a nationalist, you have a love where you're desiring to put your nation, your community first. That's not a bad thing, regardless of what some people may think and say. You know, I reference the idea of a Christian nationalist as the new boogeyman. And if the worst thing they can say is we want to mm, instill Christian values as law, really, that's terrible. I would suggest to you that a good amount of our law was based on Christian values from the get-go. I mean, that's why we don't have murder. That's why we don't have theft. And I know there's some good atheists out there that would come and say, oh, we can come to those same conclusions on our own. Maybe. Maybe. But you've benefited from the society we created. And that's okay. Because tolerance is a Christian virtue as well. But when we tolerate evil, when we tolerate everything that works against us, we're setting the seeds of our own failure. We're sowing those seeds of failure. And I'm not sure that we should continue to do that. I'm all about, we love to have you here in Texas if you want to do things the Texas way. But if you want to come here and bring all your crap from where you came from, might I suggest that you stay there or, if that's not in the cards, if you're from the East Coast, try California, Oregon, and Washington. If you're from the West Coast, then try New York, Pennsylvania. Well, maybe not Pennsylvania. Connecticut and Massachusetts. And from anywhere in the Midwest, Illinois is your place. Go to Chicago. Maybe Minnesota. You might be happier there, too. Hey, Minnesota. But... We, the people, have independent states for a reason. We're supposed to be able to do things differently in the individual states. And within those states, there's still supposed to be some flexibility at the county and the municipal level to do a little bit different things. And then the school boards are supposed to be trying different things. Yet, when we get this top-down bureaucracy, this top-down directives, they ruin everything. And they wonder why people just don't like the system. See, now you'll notice that my definition of nationalism or nationalist doesn't fit with what you're being told on TV. It doesn't fit with what the memes are on the internet. It doesn't fit with what the radio talk show hosts say. No, because I've created my own interpretation of what that means. How is that any different? I'm speaking my truth, right? You see, I'm not afraid of a term. It can be icky. It can give you some bad optics. But you are what you are. And if you love your country, you ought to be a nationalist. And the difference is, you can be a nationalist without being a fascist. You can be a nationalist without being a communist. You can be a nationalist without being a Nazi. And you can be a nationalist without being a monarchist. You know, we all want to do what's best. We all want to preserve what we think is best. But sometimes we just can't come to agreement. And sometimes that means you have to take a more dis drastic solution. 
Now, I know uh, Mr. Tom Woods, my intellectual hero, and one of the uh, people I truly look up to, has written a book. It's an ebook, of course, called The National Divorce. At least I think I've got that title right. But type it in. Look for National Divorce. Check it out. I would be interested to see what Tom's take is on this. And tomorrow, when I shift into the Texit Tuesday, we're going to tie up some more loose ends here. So, this was, according to Callus, this was episode 245, and that was my little talk on nationalism. Until tomorrow, I will see you on the other side.